Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. We're in the middle of a conversation with Jane Jackson, one of my Click the Teaches coaches. In part one, Jane shared with us her early background with horses. And last week in part two, she introduced us to Percy, a horse she bred from her daughter's very hot thoroughbred and a German riding pony. As you learned last week, Percy sits on the outer edges of just about any bell-shaped curve that you might want to try and fit him into. He's one of those horses who is acutely aware of even the smallest change in his environment. So finding calm has been a lifelong challenge with him. As we jump back into the conversation, Dominique and I are asking Jane to describe two procedures she developed for Percy. One is to help Percy adapt better to day-to-day changes in his environment, and the other is to help him be a little bit braver about venturing out beyond the security and familiarity of the barnyard and his home paddocks. So we'll pick up again where we left off in last week's conversation. But he's also sensitive to the big wide world and um, you know one of the examples is we have livestock, we raise Angus cattle. He grew up with Angus cattle literally in an adjoining paddock from the day he was born and he was Ah, I think three years old and the neighbor turned some Holsteins out in a field down the hill and he'd never seen black and white cows. He lost weight for three days standing and staring at these cows and he wouldn't eat. Wow. Because they were black and white and cows weren't supposed to be black and white. Wow. You know, and I mean not only were they black and white, but they were dairy cows, so they were shaped differently than an Angus who's a beef cow. And so yeah, he sees the monsters coming over the hill. He's the one you know, we know if something's amiss on the farm because all of a sudden he goes into what I call his his figure pose, you know, the first Justin Morgan figure. And you know, being a Vermonter, I'm I know the the statue of figure with his head up yep. and his nostrils flaring. So when he does his figure pose out in the paddock, I know that there's something going on somewhere, whether it's a logging truck or a coyote. He, he's pretty sensitive to what's going on in his world, which has made me um, be very creative in my training plans. Yes, yes. So, so I'm really itching for you to describe the training that you did with Percy to, to get him comfortable moving into different locations in, around your barn and your farm. Okay. Um, well, that's complicated, too. <laughs> Nothing about this horse is uncomplicated. I know, but it's, it's, it, it's I mean, there's so much in the way that you describe it that I uh, really admire and appreciate. And I loved how structured you were. I loved how much you thought about it in advance. I loved the rule structure that you created. I love that you you um, didn't just say, poor me, I have this reactive horse and I guess I, I can never take him outside of the barnyard. So, you know, there's just 
uh, from start to finish, there's so much in there. And what I also know is there are a lot of people who have horses. They may not have horses that are as challenging as Percy, but they have horses that for their skill level, they're not comfortable taking the horse out of the familiar right. paddock and, and barnyard. And and I think that's a big part of my plan and why it succeeded was because not only did it break it down for Percy, but it broke it down for me. Yes. And I wasn't worried about what was going to happen with this horse if I got down the road and all of a sudden he decided he wanted to go home because I wasn't going to stop him and I didn't want my horse running down the middle of the road to get back to the barn. But not sure how much you want me to go into right now, but I can sort of do an oh, I can do the why, I can do the overview of what happened. Is that what you want? Basically, just the the overview of the plan. I would say go into whatever go into whatever depth you okay. want to go in. Well, the gist of it was, it, it, it the, I have to give credit to Hannah Brannigan and Susan Friedman because they were the ones that really got the wheels turning about this. And Hannah Brannigan on her podcast, Drinking from the Toilet, um, was interviewing Susan Friedman. And Susan Friedman has a magical effect on so many of us. And Yes, she does. <laughs> she, you know, I, I describe it as, as she talks and I sit there and I go, uh-huh, 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 wait a minute. And for somehow, maybe it's her very gentle, you know, presentation style, I'm not sure, but things start going off in my head. And they're usually things that I thought I already knew, but all of a sudden I'm seeing them from a completely new angle. Um, so it's very hard to describe to other people what I learned because it's like, well, of course. And I'd say, yeah, but there's another, you know, peel that onion. There's a whole other yeah, angle yeah. here. So yes, um, Hannah was talking about one of her dogs, and I'm not going to be able to quote her specifically, but she said something about this dog. When she goes somewhere new, there are a lot of papers to be filed. And I thought, what a phenomenal analogy. And that is what Percy does. When he is looking around... He is itemizing all the various things that he's looking at from something blowing in the wind to how, how many miles an hour the wind is blowing to where that cow is moving to which car is coming over the hill. And all these different things need to be filed in different places. And I have always tried to respect his, his need for vigilance and give him an opportunity to look, but he doesn't stop, you know, because the world is constantly changing. And so he will stand there for a really long time studying his environment. And so I, you know, several years ago, I said, it's like, you know, with some of these horses that want to look, they get sucked into a black hole and they need to be helped from doing that by giving them something else to do, something else to think right. about. And I also, so this goes back to, you know, when you were teaching him his colors and his left and his right when he was two years old, I got in my head then, I have to keep this horse busy. I have to keep his brain so focused on me um, that he doesn't get distracted by what's going on in the environment. That is true, 
But it also became obvious when I was listening to this podcast that I was not, because he never knew what to expect to me, because I kept trying new things. And, you know, if he was worried, maybe I'd ask him to put his head down. Maybe I'd ask him to turn. Maybe I'd ask it, you know, who knew what I was going to ask? Because, you know, as, as Dominique just said, sometimes you're just sort of, you, you know, dealing with what comes up in the moment. And so, you know, they were talking about reinforcement strategies and making sure that the reinforcement strategy you were using that maybe you had trained at home might not work when you went somewhere else. And how do you work through that so that your reinforcement strategies work in new places? And so that got me thinking about how basically unreliable I was when he was worried because sometimes I would try to convince him to just ignore what was there and I would do that by asking him for lots of things or sometimes I would try to help him calm down by asking him to put his head down and you know I never forced him but he was so responsive and he knows those foundation lessons inside out backwards and upside down he would always respond so just because he responded didn't mean that he had forgotten what else was going on around him he could multitask very easily and he could head down back up as many steps verbal cue hand cue he could do shoulder in whatever you wanted but he was still looking over there to make sure there wasn't a bear coming out of the woods And so I wasn't getting a relaxed horse. And if anything, I was getting a more tense horse because in the process of multitasking, he was getting more and more wound up. So I wanted to develop a plan that basically I became more reliable to him. I didn't want to be so unpredictable. I wanted to develop a series of things to ask him to do and a way that I would respond to all his correct answers because he's never wrong, so he's always correct. How was I going to respond to that? And I wanted it to be progressive and I knew it needed to be in tiny, tiny, tiny steps. Because one thing, you know, we've all seen horses who see something scary when they're out in the pasture and they walk up to it and they trot and they lift their horse heads and they snort and then they wheel and run away. Yes. So horses will easily go beyond their threshold because they know they can yes, escape. Absolutely. And I did not want yeah, yep. I didn't want that. I you know, I've seen that with people. Um, and talking about people, you know, they say, Well, you know, some days I can go this far and some days I can't. And I, I didn't want yeah. that. I wanted every day I can go this far. And so I knew I needed to do it incrementally. So um, I developed a series of five different days that I would proceed through in different, what I call different zones on the farm. So the first zone that I used, I wanted to start where we could be successful. The first zone I used was the barn aisle because he was relaxed in the barn aisle. It was winter when I started this and... You know, he was just wandering around the barn aisle playing and having a good time, and he could be relaxed. So I started there, and that was what I called my first zone. And I developed these this progression of five days in which the first day he's allowed to explore and look. 
Okay, that's all he has to do. I'm not going to ask him to do anything. Because, and a lot of this I developed thinking back to my traditional competitive days. And when you first took a horse somewhere new, you would take them off the trailer and you hand grazed them and you hand walked them. Um, and ideally, you got there the night before the competition and you did your hand grazing, and the horse had time to look around and settle in and see where they were so that the next morning they could come out and be ready to compete and relaxed. So that exploration and grazing, you know, we all know that grazing helps horses calm down. Um, yes. And it, or if they are grazing, it's a sign that they're relatively relaxed because otherwise their heads are up and they're scanning. Their head is up, right. All right. So the first day was going to be exploration. And on that day, he could do whatever he wanted as long as he stayed in my prescribed zone. Um, day number two was the next easiest thing for him, which was foundation lessons. As I say, he's been doing them all his life, and he can very easily do them no matter what else is going on around him. But and we should just remind people that of so there are the six foundation lessons that are uh, the core of of the teaching that I do, and that's targeting grownups are talking, which is stand next to me with your head away from my pockets, so you're standing with your head straight, head lowering, backing, uh, happy faces, standing on a mat. I think I got all six. So he knows those foundation lessons. So that was day two. Yeah, he, he knows those foundation lessons. And he'd already had one day to just stand there and look at whatever he wanted. And, and I, I, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes that first day that we would, he would sniff around. And when I started this, it was February. So, you know, there was no grass, but he likes to explore. So he would sniff. I mean, horses are a lot like dogs when you take them for a walk, if you let them. You know, they like to sniff, and they like to nose around in the snow. And um, so he would, you know, he would just do that the first day. And then the second day, I thought, okay, you've had an opportunity to look around. Now I'm going to ask you for these very basic, simple things that you know how to do. So we would go through the foundation lessons. And I made them slightly more difficult through that day in that any of those that I could ask for duration on, I did. So, for instance, head down. The very first time, he just as soon as he put his head down, he got clicked and treated. And then the next time I would ask him to put his head down, I asked him for, to keep it down for five seconds, and he'd get clicked and treated. And the next time, we'd go ten. So we went up by five seconds each time. And it was very prescribed in what I did, because part of what I wanted to do was m help him be really confident in what I was asking him to do. And that if we were doing foundation lessons today, that's all we were doing. And he didn't need to worry about what else I might ask him for. This is foundation lesson day. Okay, I know how to do this. And I got to see this whole space yesterday so I can do this. So that was day two. Now day three was also foundation lessons. So let me, let me back up a little bit. So did yeah. you do all six of the foundation lessons or did you pick specific ones i did five i didn't do happy faces because okay. that's you know basically ears up and <laughs> his ears are always up always up okay. yeah um so yes i did all five okay and 
I did five reps facing out, and then I turned them around, and we did five reps facing the bottom. Ah, okay. And that was a big difference. Yes, it would be. Because he did not like his butt to the scary world. You know, he wanted to yep. see what was coming up behind him. So there were days where he was very comfortable doing them with his butt to the barn. But when we turned around, that was a little was more nerve-wracking yep. for him. But we did that every time. And I always did the first five of each facing out. So again, he had that time to respond and check because, of course, one day is different than the next. Absolutely. So he needed to be able to scan a little bit that first, the next day initially. And then, you know, okay, you got to scan. You got to see what's going on now. I want you to turn around and I want you to do five more going the other way. So then day three, it was foundation lessons again, but I chained them. So instead of getting a click and a treat for each one, I would build chains of a couple foundation lessons. So I might ask him to walk onto a mat, and then instead of clicking and treating when he got on the mat, I would ask him to target. And then after he targeted, I might ask him to back off. So I've got three foundation lessons there. I've got stepping onto a mat, I've got targeting, and I've got backing. And then I would click and treat. And that was just for me to, well, first of all, it required, um, I don't want to say more thought from him, but more focus because he needed to keep on responding and he wasn't getting any little breaks because you know when you click and he's eating his treat he can do a little more scanning yes and so he wasn't quite having as much time to do that he had to focus and he had to stay on task if you will um and it allowed me to assess could he do this was he responding immediately how quick were his movements where was his head you know i mean i, I could draw a geometric angle of how high Percy's head is on any given day to tell you how concerned he is about the world. Um, so we did five, and again, we would do five facing away from the barn, or five reps. And this day was probably the least consistent because I would do different, you know, it wasn't always step onto a mat, target, and back. I would mix them up right. so he never quite knew what order they were coming in, but it was still the foundation lessons. Um, and then we'd turn around and we'd do, you know, some more in the other direction. I was also the day that was probably the quickest because he would, you know, th the chains were short and fast and I didn't ask for much duration usually when I was chaining. Sometimes I did, but not necessarily as long as the other, the former day. So that was day three. And so we're still in the same physical space. I'm not going any further out. Day four, I did what I called a new behavior. And it wasn't like I was teaching him something brand new, but it was something that was more current to what we'd been working on. And usually something he, he liked doing, like stepping over rails, he really likes to do. And he knows that he gets clicked if he does not touch them. So stepping cleanly over them. And so stepping over rails is actually reinforcing for him. So that was an example of one of the things. Another thing I, taught, I worked on sometimes, which was really fun, the further from the house I got, was stationing. Oh. Um, and I used a, you know, a boat bumper as a station because I, you know, in this climate, mats don't survive very long in one place because they 
get buried in snow or mud or grass yes. very quickly. So the boat bumper was something that was easy to take out with me when I went and I could put it on the ground and he could station on it while I walked away. And that's why it was so miraculous to me that when we got further on in this project, we were so far from home and I could walk away from him and he would stay right there at his little wow. station. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I never, I, I couldn't believe it. So, so that was, so this, this next, the, let's see what day, one, two, three, we're now on day four, was this new behavior. So, you know, maybe I would put a rail out in the driveway if that was the zone we were in at that time. And we would just go back and forth over the rail a few times, clicking and treating. And again, so now I'm asking him for other things. I'm not necessarily asking him for stuff that's really well known, but I'm not asking him for difficult things. Um, so that was day four. And then day five, I, I put it all together and we did these new behaviors in chains being reinforced by foundation behaviors. So he'd step over a rail and then instead of clicking and treating, we'd keep on going to a mat, for example. So he was getting less reinforcement per session each day as well. Or less treats. Less, yes, thank yes. you. Good correction. Absolutely. Just as much reinforcement, but fewer food treats, which mm -hmm. was also important to me because I thought, you know, pie in the sky, if somebody did want to go to a competition, you're not allowed to feed your horse treats throughout a dressage test. So can you continue to focus, do what I asked, and stay calm, and I'm not just constantly feeding to get that focus? So that was day five. Once we went through all five days, we moved on to the next zone, which is always, well, almost always, a contiguous piece of land, if you will. So day one was in the aisle. I went through all five days. Then we went out into the barnyard, and we did all five days there. And then I went, you know, to the next. And, and I did map it out in my own head very clearly what the perimeter of the zone was. There was no way for Percy to know that ahead of time. But I said, okay, when we're in the barnyard, the driveway is the edge, the round pen is one edge, and this gate is another edge, and we're staying in this part. And on exploration day, he could go anywhere he wanted within that zone. He wasn't allowed to go beyond it because he was curious, and he wasn't allowed to retreat to closer to the barn once we got further. And by, by not allowed, I simply meant you know, it was a rope cue. You know, if he tried to go beyond the zone, I just stopped. And he's very respectful of rope cues. It wasn't like I had to plant my feet and hold on so he didn't run away. It was just like, nope, come back over here and let's explore over here a little bit instead. So we went progressively through the year, basically, because I did it in such small steps that it did. I went right up to sep through September doing this, going a little further and a little farther from the barn all the time. And, and that was the gist of it. And we did, there were other, um, so, so there were various rules that I came up with, you know, not being able to, to leave the zone was one of them. Another one was pace. Um, 
if he was sort of hesitant about heading down the driveway and was walking really slowly or stopped to look, we didn't stop until we got to the new zone because otherwise that's what it would have been every day. He would have been stopping all the way out. And I wanted progress. I wanted to be able to take him down the road, take him down the driveway, turn left down the road, and head off down the road without having to stop and look at everything on the way. So again, were you able to always keep him under threshold, though, even as you were progressing? Well, um, what I say in the blog po- that was my what I say in the blog post is that Percy lives on his threshold. Keeping that horse under threshold would be, I mean, you know, he's, I'm trying to look out right now and see what he's doing, but he's over, not over, but he, well, sometimes he's over threshold. Sometimes he's on his threshold when he's turned out in his pasture because he's so hypervigilant. You know, everybody else will be grazing and Percy will be looking at something on the horizon or he'll see something and he'll wheel and gallop up to the barn. So keeping him under threshold, I think, was impossible, if not unreasonable. But as far as keeping him with me, he always did. He never pulled on the rope. So he might take the slack out of the rope, but whether it was because he had stopped to look at something and I kept walking, or whether it was because we were headed back to the barn and he was worried behind him and got a little quick. As soon as the slack went out of the rope, he respected it and either came along or slowed down. So and you I know, didn't... this makes me think that um, when someone does an exercise like this, or because we, it's kind of a rule we always have in our mind that, you know, especially if we're trying to desensitize an animal, that we should always keep the animal under threshold, but that needs to be defined. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love to have that discussion with either Susan Friedman or Jesus Rosales Ruiz, or it's, um, what does that really mean? What does it look like? And what's the reality? When I work with other animals, under threshold means they don't notice the trigger. So if you're working with a dog who's reactive to other dogs or who, you know, yeah, so let's just say a dog who's reactive to other dogs, ideally you start with them so far apart that he's not even looking at that other dog because they're at the other end of a football field. And you slowly move them closer and closer, whether it's in one session or over many days or weeks or months, you move them closer and closer so that that dog remains just sort of background non-threatening but you but you would want them to notice that there is another dog and that this other dog does not elicit um, the emotional behaviors that we're trying to to change or actually we want them to learn that in the desensitization you want them to learn that it's neutral or in the counter conditioning that it's even a predictor of good things but they would notice, you would want them to notice well, that there is a dog, but not react over threshold. Yes and no. Because what I always, because the mistake people make is they wait for the dog to react and then wait for them to come back down again. Oh, no, 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 no. I agree with you. 
Now, for me, to notice doesn't mean to react. It means to see and not react. Right. But my understand, my experience with animals' perceptions of what's around is I do think they know they're there. So I think whether they saw them at a glance or hear them or smell them, I believe they know they're there without needing to stop and well, look. You know, I've, I've been desensitizing Canel to other dogs because I moved recently and now we have a lot of unleash walks. And now when she sees another dog, she looks at me and she looks and asks where her treats are. So she, I, she definitely sees the other dog, right. but she's not barking, she's not lunging, she's just looking at me waiting for her treats. Right. So that's a so you're counter conditioning her yeah. and that's great, but that's because you know what the trigger is. The trigger is other dogs. Oh uh, yeah. Much when easier trigger, than the whole world is the trigger. Exactly. When yeah, the yeah, trigger yeah, yeah. is the wind or a bird. Yeah. I noticed that Percy alerted to birds. Um okay. alarm calls of birds. Mm. When we got further to the farm. If I heard, because all of a sudden he would alert to something. And it took me a few days to figure out what it was before my own brain kicked in and heard, oh, there are alarm calls from birds going off. Now, whether he was hearing what they were alarming at, you know, maybe there was a moose in the woods that I couldn't hear, or whether he was alerting to their alarm calls because he understood that if they were, because like he, he alerts, when our dogs bark. The other horses don't pay any attention when our dogs bark. Mm -hmm. Percy does. He said, them barking means somebody's coming. In a way, this horse is he's like in a flooding situation all the time. He's overwhelmed by all these things. Yeah. Or used Sometimes to. Sometimes he is. Um, yeah. He's, you know, there are, which isn't to say there aren't times that he's out there sleeping in the sun perfectly relaxed. But he is an individual who just is very aware mm -hmm. of his surroundings. And your surroundings, to be fair, when you say, oh, oh, a bear could come out of the woods. It really could. Where you live, a bear could come out of the woods. <laughs> the bears have come out of the woods. <laughs> have come out of the woods, yes. Yeah. Um, and, but, and I don't know whether it would be any different if we lived in suburbia and it could be a motorcycle or a bicycle or... right. You know, I, I don't know that that would be any difference other than these are legitimate predators that are coming out of the woods, whereas eh, motorcycles might be scary, but they're not. You know, what what inherent life preservation is being triggered when he sees a wild animal? I don't know. I, th I thought your description was really fascinating. So when you so as you progressed, um, say your zone was a fair distance from the barn, that you'd reach that stage where you were going out towards the woods, that you didn't go zone by zone by zone over those five days. You said you Now you had progressed past zones one, two, three, four, and five, and so you just walked out to right. zone six with him, which is an amazingly wonderful thing to be able to do if you've had one of those horses where you can barely walk out of the barn. So now you've got a horse who will walk with you to this next work area 
that you have designated. And that next work area might be near the, the, the woods or along the road. Um, but that's a huge accomplishment. But how would you, how would you, so because if, if the being under threshold is not the way you thought about it, what was your guide in your progression to make sure that you wouldn't go overboard, I don't know how to say it, yep. with the, you know, to know that you weren't pushing too much and being counterproductive in what you were trying to do. Right. Well, I did keep, I, I had to figure out how to do that, how I was going to assess, am I pushing him too much? Mm -hmm. And I wanted it in a data form that I could literally count you know I didn't okay. want to say well he seems okay today so I think he's okay so what I did was I labeled three different ways that a horse can react and I gave them very arbitrary definitions arbitrary in how anybody else would define them but for my purposes I had what I called a look I had a startle and I had a spook. And so I defined a look as those times that he stopped his feet and looked at something. Now, it didn't mean I, I stopped too, but I made a mental note. Okay, he stopped and looked there. And I kept walking and he came along, but he did look. A startle was one of those sort of little jumps in place, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, where they just sort of brace their feet, their feet come off the ground, but it's more than just their head. It's a whole body startle. And then there was a spook, which I defined as a change of gait. So if we, he was standing on a mat or standing in grown-ups and something spooked him and he just walked forward, that was a spook. If we were walking and something startled him and he broke into a trot for two steps, that was a spook. So what would you do if, if there was a spook? What would you do then? I just kept going. I ignored it. Okay. Because he you didn't... You noted it, but you ignored it. Yep. And so by keeping and track... And next time... Huh? And by keeping track of them, mm. I was able to see that there weren't more and more each day. Right. And that was what I had experienced in the past, was maybe one day, because it was, okay. you know, 70 degrees and still, we could walk out... And he'd be perfectly relaxed. But the next day, if it was 60 degrees and windy, all of a sudden he was spooking. And what happened was that didn't happen. So you, so by, by monitoring, you were able to see where the trend was going, in the right yep. direction or in the wrong direction? So he may have still been spooking. You know, there might have been days, you know, three months into this that he spooked once, but it was in the new zone. He was no longer looking, spooking, or startling in the previous zones. So let's say we're working in zone six. Once we got there, it was a new space, and he might startle once or twice, but he didn't startle all the way walking out there or on the way back. That's huge. So that's how I told myself, okay, so I'm, yes, he was working at threshold, but we, I had to push that. I didn't have to. I felt I had to. I did it. I tried it. I just kept pushing the envelope so that we were always working 
in new spaces, but we were doing it in such a slow and methodical manner that I thought he could handle it. So this is something I learned at NEI, which is Natural Encounters, which is down in Florida, and it's um, working with birds. And it's a, a workshop, a five-day workshop, and I did it a few years ago, and it's a phenomenal opportunity. But it's with Steve Martin and Susan Friedman. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The coach that I had there, his name is Vauder Stillard, and he's now, um, and he's at a, a zoo now as, as head trainer. Yeah, I think he was at the Cincinnati Zoo. Um, he said something, the success is in the back end. And what he meant by that was, it's not how far you, pr- so we're, we're looking at both geography I'm, I'm going to say this is primarily geographical. So if you're trying to get a, a bird into a crate or a horse onto a trailer or a horse down the road, the success is not measured so much with how far you get that day. It's when they retreat, how far do they retreat? Do they go all the way back to the beginning or do they only retreat 10 feet? And that you can measure your success that way sometimes a lot more clearly than how far you go because again we can go far 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 but if our horse is nervous and jigging all the way home yeah what have we really succeeded in doing but if you if your horse if you push the envelope and you get a little further down the road but then your horse is relaxed enough to sniff for apples and graze along the road as you go home that's where you're really seeing your success because two weeks ago, that was where the scary world was. And now that's no longer scary. And so by, by keeping data on my, my startles, my looks, and my spooks, that was what told me that there were no, that these weren't happening back at closer to home anymore. I think pro- there, were, well, there were a couple milestones, if you will, that were the really scary areas that took us a little longer to get through. Um, or not longer to get through, but they were, there were more startles and spooks in a couple places than there were in others. And one was at the corner of our driveway because my husband parks equipment out there and stores stuff, and every day it was different as to what we would see there. And it's also once you go around the corner, you can no longer see the barn. So when he was able, one picture I didn't include in the blog, which I thought of, was we were working out there, and on day five, it was such a scary area, but day five happened to come at a time of year that the driveway had finally cleared of snow and there was mud, and he lay down and rolled in the mud because he hadn't seen mud in months. But I thought, if you're comfortable enough to lie down and roll when a week ago you wanted nothing to do with being out here, we've made some serious headway. Yes. And then another one was when we got to the end of the road because the woods were on the other side of the road and he could hear birds and he could hear, you know, stuff crashing around in the woods. And, you know, once we were down the road and working further away from the farm, we could walk down the road and turn in the driveway and he was just fine there. So it was that success of the, the real relaxation when his head was lower than his withers and he was staying right at my side as opposed to lagging back or hurrying ahead 
that was where I, I could see the success, the progress the most. I think it's phenomenal. And, and the, uh, this very systematic, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to stick with it. So it's not, oh, well, I've done it for a couple weeks, and he's still a little nervous, so it can't be working. It's like, no, I'm going to stick with it. Because yeah. you did this for how long? Over a year? Um, well, it was pretty much nine months. I started in early February last year and went to October when we got snow, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is far too early in the year to yeah. get snow. Yeah. But once and you we didn't had just snow, get snow. It was cold. Oh, it was just October was ridiculous. Was, yeah, and November was just November was yeah. was so so cold. And it wasn't just that you know we were uncomfortable, but you know the zones we the new zones to work in would have meant wading out in knee deep snow yeah. to get yeah. there, and there was no path beaten down to get there. And so that was that was another. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that was another one of your rules that I liked, the rule about weather. That you made yes yes yep. so so um, go through that because that's an important rule so be because I started in February and this is northern Vermont and we can very easily get temperatures below zero or Fahrenheit wind Fahrenheit yeah just bitterly cold stuff so the rule I made about weather was if the weather was such that I didn't want to go out we didn't go out because you know, I can't. I, I have yet to find a pair of gloves that I can treat with. Yep. I have to take my. I have to have bare hands yep. to fish out two treats and feed them. There are certain temperatures at which hands no longer function, and if that was going to be the case, I didn't go out. Um, and the same came. You know, when spring came and you have those raw, wet days or a driving rain or something. If I was going to be uncomfortable out there, I didn't go. But there were many days that I realized I was saying, oh, I'm not going to go today because I knew he would not like it. I might be comfortable, but he would not be comfortable. And it wasn't because he was physically uncomfortable. He has a winter coat and he's a horse and he lives outside. It was that he was, he was emotionally uncomfortable. And that 99% of the time was wind. Yep. So you, you kind of had a definition of his threshold. For me, when you're talking like this, I hear he would have been over threshold. It would have been counterproductive. So I didn't go there because but I But you did go there. No. They did. No, they didn't. I did go. Oh, you... No, I... I did not go if I was going to be uncomfortable. Oh. If he was going to be uncomfortable because of wind... I went you anyway. Did. I oh. did. Oh, yeah. my God. See, and that to me is really significant. Yeah. Because it because otherwise you I it's that whole thing of, well, you know, it's it's not that that one day out of the year when the temperature is just right, the wind isn't blowing, all the neighbors' dogs are put away. <laughs> I know the UPS trip. No, that's confusing for me. That's confusing for me. Because you know, you always hear, set yourself up and your animal for success. Train where you can, not where you cannot. So it's, you know, how did you assess that it was not going to be counterproductive to what you had done all the months and weeks before? 
Well, because I had done that for 10 years and it didn't work. <laughs> and so now I was ready to try something different. But, but and also, I did it but progressively. I, but also, Jane, you, you didn't jump from the barnyard to the scary woods. Right. You said, you know, most of the time the zones were contiguous. So you might have had mm -hmm. this, this part of the barnyard. So today, zone one is this third of the barnyard. And tomorrow, it's the second third. And the following day, the, the zone is moved to the far end of the barnyard. So you weren't making these huge jumps. Exactly. And you were keeping a structure that you were taking with you. So there's really, you're, you're the variable that you were changing is you were changing Every five days, you moved the zone a little bit. Right. A little bit. And the world does change. You know, yesterday, the car was parked there. Today, the car is gone. Right. But that's, that's life. And you'd also done, and this may, be, this may be an important part of this, you had spent the previous, was it the previous year where you, every day, right. you changed something? Yep. So, so that, and that may be an important precursor to what you did with him because you'd already taught all of your horses expect change. Right. Yep. And, you know, just one little thing that you mentioned, which I found so interesting, is that one day the car was there, the next day the car wasn't. It was amazing how many times something not being there wasn't was concern yes yep. you know so a piece of we had i had plywood up against one side of the shed and we put it there to block the snow from blowing in but i had pulled it out to use for a clinic as a huge mat and when that plywood disappeared yep. all the horses Notice. thought yep. whoa wait a minute that doesn't look like it's supposed to look it wasn't that there was something new and scary in the environment. It was that something that had been there yep. was no longer there. That's often when you see at clinics, it's so ironic because sometimes it's the resident horses that struggle the yes. most because they're, they, they know what their world normally looks like. Their, their world does not normally have a line of chairs and all these people in it. But the, the horses yep. coming in, for all they know, that's how the arena always looks. It's that yep. change. We used to say that when we were when we were eventing, was that yep. people would say to the the resident, you know, so a farm is hosting an event, and we'd say, oh, well, you live here, you're so lucky, you got to school all <laughs> of, over all these jumps, and they would say, and their horses would say, those jumps didn't have flags and numbers on them yesterday when we were schooling right. for the last six That's months. Right. Now they do. That's different. That's right. And the horses that came in. They'd never seen those jumps before, so they had no expectation of what they were supposed to look like. So I think maybe you need to describe the change something every day experiment. Because okay. that was, that was I just thought that was fascinating and brilliant, and what a good idea to actually implement it. You know what's coming. The music is the cue. I'm going to stop the conversation here. Jane has given us all an enormous amount to think about. If you want to read more of the details of this procedure, Jane has written a superb article about it for her blog, 
which she'll be posting at bookendsfarm.blog.blogspot.com. Don't don't worry about trying to remember the web address. Just do a search for Jane Jackson and you'll turn it up. Next week, we'll continue on with a description of another of Jane's very systematic procedures. This one was designed to help all her horses adjust to daily changes in the environment. So have fun with your training, and we'll have another podcast episode for you next week. <laughs>